Well, good morning, River Ridge. Welcome out. Uh, my name is Chad, one of the pastors here. Good to be with you guys. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, make your way to Luke chapter 4. We will get there in just a few minutes. <clears throat> as you saw there in the bumper video, and as Tim mentioned, we're starting a brand new series this morning called Five Words to Change Your Life. And I, I think we all know that, that words have a lot of power in our lives. And sometimes God can use little words, everyday words that we use all the time, to shape our lives and to change our lives. And I know we're really busy people, so we are only going to tackle one word a week. I think we can do this. All right, let me pray for us as we get started. Father, thank you uh, that you are a personal God who meets with us as your people. Thank you for a time where we can gather together, where we can sing of your worth in our lives, and where we can sit under your word. So, Father, I pray um, that you would remove the distractions of life. We need to hear from you. We want to hear from you. So speak into our lives. Let us leave here changed as a result of encountering you and your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So one of the shows that our family likes to watch together is America's Got Talent. Anybody else? Yeah, there's a few of us in here. Um, and sometimes these people in here, they do the craziest thing. This past week, we were watching it, and this husband and wife team came out. So I want you to picture this. There's a 20-foot-long pole with a chair on top of it. So the, the husband grabs it, puts it on his forehead, and is balancing this 20-foot pole with, with a chair in it. Next thing you know, the wife is shimmying up the pole and is sitting in the chair, and he's walking around trying to keep everything balanced. Then she flips on her head, does a headstand, contorts her body, and shoots a bow and arrow with her feet to hit a balloon like 30 feet away. And, and it, it's just unbelievable what people will do, and it's riveting TV because there's no room for error. I mean, they are living right on the edge of the impossible. One false move, and it's just disaster. And, and there's just something about watching people push themselves to the limits that draws us in. But while it's fun to watch on TV, it's not nearly as much fun when it's our lives that are living right on the edge, uh, where there's no cushion, where there's no buffer, where there's no room for error in our lives. And yet that's where so many of us live our lives. We try to cram as much as possible into the day. We rush from one assignment to another at work, and then we leave there, go to a few appointments, then we make our way to this practice and over to that game. We eat dinner out of a bag four out of five nights a week, and then as soon as we get the kids to bed, we go downstairs, fire up the laptop, kick off a few emails to try to stay caught up as much as we can, then we get up and we do it all over again. And before we know it, we don't have any time for what truly matters in life. And we find ourselves so emotionally exhausted from the day's activities that we have nothing left to give to the people that we have made the deepest promises to. And we find ourselves saying things like, I just don't have time to pour into my kids. I've spent all day running, and all I really want to do is to get them off to bed so I can get on the couch and just get a few minutes alone. Or we say things like, I I don't have time to invest in my marriage. And we think to ourselves, you know, this is just a busy season. That's all this is. And we'll be able to spend more time together at some point, but just not right now. And before you know it, you, you've punted and you've punted and you've punted. And your marriage is hanging on by a thread. Or we say things like, yeah, I don't have time to immerse my mind in the Bible. I don't have time to pray or to examine the, the condition of my heart. I, I don't have time to take the, the time that it takes to develop real relationships with people, to give or to serve or to volunteer. I, I don't have time to think. I don't have time 
to dream about what it is that God wants to do in my life in this season. Time is the most prized commodity that we have in our lives. It's the one thing that we can't make more of. And once it's spent, it's gone. And you couple that with the fact that a big chunk of our time, we don't have any control over. We have to sleep. We have to eat. We have to go to work. And so we're left with what amounts to a relatively small amount of discretionary time that we, can, that we can invest for the things that matter to us. So we must learn to be really wise with how we spend our time. So today we're going to learn a word that, that has the power, has the potential to restore some peace to our lives, to establish some boundaries, to, to create some space to hear and to respond to what God says is best. And it's this little word, no. There was a time in our lives when we loved this word. It's, it's one of the first words that, that we learn uh, as a kid when we're two years old. And, and to this day, we, we still, heal, still hear the, this word echoing through the halls at, at the Cobb household. You need to pick up the stuff out of the floor. No. You, you need to share. No. You need to eat your vegetables. No. And Sarah will look at me and say, Chad, you're the grown-up. You're supposed to be setting the example for our kids here. <laughs> but yeah, it, isn't it true? Like, uh, over time, we, we learn that, that people like us better if we say yes than if we say no. Right? We don't like it when people tell us no, and they don't like it when we tell them no. And, and we find ourselves, as we get older, we, we don't want to disappoint people. Uh, we don't want them to be upset or to think less of us. And so we, we learn to say yes in such a way that we make a train wreck out of our lives. The fact is that, is that we spend this small amount of discretionary time one yes at a time. And our problem is, is that we mindlessly say yes to things without giving a whole lot of thought to what that commitment means and how much time is involved behind that yes. We say yes to our bosses. We say yes to our schedules. We say yes to coaching and yes to that committee and yes to buying that thing that we can't really afford and saying yes to the people that we don't really know and we don't really like. And there's nothing wrong, uh, inherently wrong or evil with any one particular yes, but we live in a culture, we live in a day that will push us to keep saying yes until our schedules are so filled up and our lives are so crammed full. They are decent, respectable, busy, exhausting, lonely, stagnant lives that are just filled with all of these yeses. And our lives are so full of stuff and burdens and hurry that we find that we don't have space for God, that, that we don't have space for the relationships that matter the most to us. And so what we need to learn is the power of this little word, no. It's this wonderful gift that has been given to us. I heard somebody say one time that, that no is the scalpel that God wants to use to reshape our lives. It's this tool that, that can begin to carve out some chunks of time, some margin in our lives. Here's the principle that I want us to, to walk away with. If, you have, if you're taking notes, it's this. That if you are clear on your purpose and your priorities, then you will be clear on when to say no. And we know this principle and we apply this principle in, in other areas of life. If in our minds we have um, a, a weight goal that we're trying to hit or some kind of fitness goal, and it's real clear on what 
weight we want to try to get to, it becomes real easy. It becomes real clear that we need to say no to that extra piece of pie. Right? It, it, or it, if we have some financial goals, we're trying to maybe save for a down payment on something. It, it becomes easier to say no to upgrading that gadget or just to wasting money on something else. We know this in other areas of our lives, but this principle also applies and holds true into how we spend our time. And once you have clarity, once you have clarity on what your purpose is, what your priorities need to be in this season of your life, then you can get real laser-focused on how you need to spend your time. No's become a whole lot easier to say because if it doesn't line up with this priority, it's easy to say. And the truth is that God has particular plans for this season that you find yourself in. God doesn't waste any season of our lives. He has something that he wants to accomplish, that he wants us to accomplish with this season. Scripture speaks so clearly uh, about some of the priorities that God has for us as parents or as spouses, some of the priorities that he has in the shape, shaping of our, of our character. And in order for us to do things God's way, there are probably some things that need to come off of our schedule, some things that we need to say no to so we can create the kind of space to accomplish what God wants to do in our lives. But our resolve will come under constant contact, constant attack. Uh, we, we will be tempted to waver, to, to second-guess ourselves, and that's where this word becomes so valuable for us. We need to learn to be able to say no to some lesser things so that we can say yes to some greater ones. And Jesus was the master of this. He was so crystal clear on what his purpose was and what his priorities were that he could easily say no to anything that interfered with him. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture at the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, and in the time that we have together, we're going to take a look at, at the three temptations that Satan threw towards Jesus and how those uh, are so relevant in our lives. Because these temptations that, that Jesus faced are the same ones that we face. These are the three biggest uh, distractions that will pull us away from the purpose and the priorities that God has for our lives. So we're going to take a look at those temptations, and then we're, we're going to take a look at, at three practices on how we can resist each of those temptations so that we can stay on track with what God wants us to do. So Luke chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. So for 40 days he has been wandering in the desert, and he was obviously hungry. So in this time of weakness, the devil comes to him, and he tries to tempt him by reminding him of what he didn't have. And he says, in essence, You know, Jesus, you'd be complete. You'd be satisfied if you just ate some bread. So stop what you're doing. T take a break from this preparation that, that God is putting you through and spend some of your energy. Spend some of your time turning the stone into bread. But Jesus was so focused on his mission and he knew that, that he was being led by God, that he was being prepared by God for this earthly ministry that he was about to, to, to begin and he knew that God would provide for him in the appropriate time. So he could say, no, my, my happiness, my fulfillment, my, my mission can't be reduced down to me simply uh, feeding this appetite. 
Here's the first temptation that we all face if you're taking notes. It's this idea that you are what you have. This is one of the biggest distractions that we face, especially in our culture. Our culture constantly whispers, you are what you have. And you should never have an unmet appetite in your life. Your identity, your legacy will be defined by what you have. So, so devote yourself. Devote your time and your energy to accumulating nicer cars and a nicer house and nicer clothes and, and a bigger bank account. Every one of us in this room will hear this voice. There are some really smart people that stay up late in the night dreaming up ad campaigns to try to convince us that the reason why we are unhappy in this life is because of some unmet need. And they try to convince us that, that if we just had that phone, if we just had that pair of shoes, if we just took that vacation, it, if we just fed that appetite, then we'd be happy. But the truth is, is that this nature of an appetite, whenever you try to feed an appetite, it just gets bigger. And the bigger the appetite gets, the, the more it draws us off the path, off the course that God has for us we'll find that the house won't be enough, the car won't be enough, the phone will get outdated, and yet our world will continue to tempt us and tell us, you are what you have. So if you don't have much, then you must not be much. And Jesus reminds us that your life is more than stuff. He says, man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live for stuff alone, for houses alone, for money alone. Your life is more than just trying to satisfy an appetite. So the way that, that we resist this temptation to find our identity in this idea that we are what we have is to consume less. Uh, the biblical word for that is to fast. When we fast, what we're doing is we are temporarily giving up something, doing without something in our lives in order to create space for God to speak into us. Fasting shows us, it proves to us that we can actually make it through life without having to give in to and feed an appetite immediately. And what we do is, is we allow these unmet desires to drive us to God. That classic, the thing that really comes to mind for most people when you think about fasting is that you can fast from food and you can. You, you pick a meal or maybe you pick a day and you do without food. And what you do is you allow that physical hunger, the physical hunger pains to remind you of a spiritual hunger, a deeper spiritual hunger for God to be the leader of your life. You could get creative and you could fast from shopping. Shopping has a tendency to, to feed into this temptation because it reminds us of all the things that we don't have. And it tempts us to say, yeah, my happiness would be over here if I just bought this next thing. So maybe you decide that you're going to cut that out of your life for a few weeks to learn to be content with what it is that God has already blessed you with and not chase after a life that's uh, chasing after all these this stuff in your life. Or, or maybe you, you could fast from your phone, from an electronic device. They, it, they eat up so much of our time these days. <clears throat> I was reading this week that the average American checks their phone 50 times a day. Every time it buzzes, every time we feel the vibration in our pocket, we're tempted to pull it out and to see what it is because there's this fear that we might be missing out on something. It got me thinking this week that if, if I fall into that same trap, what, what would my life look like if I turned my attention, if I turned my mind toward God 50 times a day instead of to my phone? I think it would dramatically change the way that I see life. 
see, whatever form fasting might take in your life, it, it's this way to initiate discipline in our lives, to remind us that we are more than just appetites, that we don't have to give in to these urges all the time, that we can say no to an appetite so that we can say yes to remaining focused on God, remaining focused on the priorities that he has for this season, for the plans that he has for us. So the, the first temptation is to believe that you are what you have. The passage continues in verse 5. It says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and all the splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil comes to, to Jesus and says, I, I can give you a pretty amazing resume. You can be the ruler over all of this, and your life can be full of power and prestige and position. You can have anything you ever wanted. So the second temptation that we need to be aware of is this idea that you are what you do. Our world whispers in our ears constantly, find your identity in your work. Find your identity in your performance and achievement. Sacrifice whatever it takes to succeed. It's this idea that if you don't achieve much, then you must not be much. And this temptation is so subtle because we have to work. God has given us work in order to provide for our families, but also to to bring some joy into our lives. But there's a dark side to it as well because we, we can begin to wrap our identity into our jobs and then it becomes an idol and it begins to control more and more of our time. I find in my life that this is a huge temptation for me. Um, I, I am a type A's type A, and I have some perfectionist tendencies in my life. I, I enjoy work. And, and as much as I sometimes complain about busyness, I, I'm actually drawn to hurry. I'm drawn to busyness. It makes me feel important. It, it gets the, the adrenaline pumping in my, my blood. I, I enjoy getting things done and getting it marked off the list. But I've also found that there are times when my joy and, and my happiness is more tied to how successful or how productive I thought that I was during the day. And, and that can drive me to, to work longer hours, to spend more time at work than, than I need to. Uh, and then when I go home, even though I'm physically present, my mind is still back at work. And I'm still trying to solve problems that didn't quite get solved. And I'm still connected to work. And, and anymore, with technology and phones, I mean, we're only an email away that the, the, the work-home boundary, it doesn't exist anymore. So we can stay constantly connected to work. And that's a dangerous place to be because it forces us into this temptation. It reminds us, tries to remind us, you know, you are what you do. You are what you do, so you need to do more. And the practice to counteract this temptation is to rest and reflect. Uh, the biblical word for that is Sabbath. It, in his love for us, God says, you have six days to complete your work, and then I want you to rest. We need times when we're not working, when we're not adding value to something, when we're not being productive or achieving or striving. We, we need some times in our lives when we can just be. We can just be alive. Enjoy the gift of life that God has given us. Enjoy our relationship with him and not have it tied to all this activity that's going on around us. I think it's, it's telling that Jesus began his ministry alone 
in the wilderness. He, he wasn't surrounded by a crowd of people. He wasn't teaching anyone. He, he wasn't raising up disciples and trying to, trying to train them in some way. He was alone. It was just him and God. And what you find throughout his ministry, if you read it further, is that there were always these times when he would pull away, sometimes by himself, but oftentimes with his disciples, and they would pull away from the crowd, and they'd go up on a mountaintop, or they'd go to a lonely place, or they'd pull away into a garden. The fact is that, that we need times of quiet, times away from the busyness of life where we can rest and we, we can reflect on who it is that God is making us into. I, I find in my own life that unless I, I pull out a calendar and get some of these blocks of time on there, I can have the best of intentions, but I, I won't find times for these uh, time of, of reflection and rest. One of the things that, that I, I do several times during the week is I, I will take the last 15 minutes of the day as I'm laying down in bed, and I will review the day with God. And in particular, what I will do is I'll try to replay the conversations and the interactions that, that I had with the people that God brought into my life that day. And I'll ask the question, like, God, how did I treat those people? Did I show them your kindness? Did I show them your love? That Was I compassionate? Was I invested in my kids the way that I need to? Was I really present that did I listen and did I hear and did I respond the way that you wanted me to? I, I take the time to see what it is that he might want to teach me through these interactions. And then as I reflect and find sometimes when I failed, I will confess that to him and I will leave my regrets with him. And the benefit of doing this routinely is that we can actually learn from our days. That we don't just have to maintain the same pattern, the same bad habits that we have. So maybe you start with that, this 15 minutes a day. And then maybe what you do is you can begin to add a day of the week where you purposefully slow down, where you linger longer at the kitchen table, where you invite some friends over and you just sit and you listen. You find these times where... And sometimes we have to train ourselves to slow down. So it's maybe on this day you, you choose, I'm going to drive in the slow lane. I, I'm going to choose the longest line at Walmart. I'm going to choose the longest line at the red light. And we learn how to slow down, that we don't have to cram as much productivity and, and activity into our days. The world will say to you, you are what you do. So we have to find ways to do less to slow down and to have these times where we can rest and reflect on who God is making us into. One last temptation, begin in verse 9. It says, The devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This last temptation of, of the devil, was, he was trying to play into Jesus' pride. And he was in essence saying, these people don't know who you are. You need to prove yourself to them if you want them to believe. This crowd of people that, that, that is surrounding the temple, if you jump off of here 
and they see God send his angels and come to your rescue, then they'll believe. They'll know that you are the son of God, and they'll believe you're the greatest. And Jesus says, I'm not here to impress people. I'm here only to impress God. The third temptation that we face is this temptation that you are what people think of you. So many of us are, are enslaved to people's perceptions of us. We, we find our identity all wrapped up in people's opinions and, and people's approval of us. And the desire to have people like us motivates so many decisions that we make. It motivates our physical appearance. It, it motivates how we raise our kids or what activities we get them in it. It motivates career choices. And sometimes we, we end up choosing careers that are not a good fit for us only to impress somebody else. And we find ourselves letting the fear of rejection or the fear of criticism draw us away from the plans that God has for our lives. So the way that, that we counteract this temptation is to get comfortable with disapproval. I, mean, I, I think intuitively we all know that we can't please everybody. So what we need to do is to get comfortable with the fact that not everyone is going to like the decisions that we make. That when we get to this point, when you say no to something that you need to say no to, be okay if someone disapproves. Be okay if they're not happy. Don't, don't try to change their mind. Don't waste your time, your valuable time, trying to convince them that you're right. Let them have their own opinion. And don't let your identity get wrapped up into what they think of your decision. If God has given you clarity on what this season's priorities are, then you don't need others' validation. So don't waste your time trying to get it. Here's what we need to know. Something or someone will dictate what fills our schedules. If we do nothing, if we just pick up our feet and go with the flow, our culture will drive us and will keep tempting us to say yes to everything to fill our lives to the very brink until they're full. And we know this. It, it's unsustainable. And it's destroying our lives. It's not bringing us more joy. This busyness, this hurriedness is not bringing us more joy. And that's why we need these practices in our lives. These practices to help us say no to lesser things, to carve out some time in our lives where God can actually speak into it. God is calling us back from the edge back from this jam-packed life that the American culture throws our way. And he is saying, you are not what you have. You are not what you do. You are not what people think of you. You are mine. I, I have adopted you as my son or my daughter, and I have wonderful plans for your life, plans that I want you to fulfill. I, and I want to free you from these false identities. I want to free you from these temptations, these insecurities, so that you can chase after this plan, this life that I have for you. I'm learning, maybe even more this season than others, just how precious time is. And I don't want to waste it on stuff that doesn't really matter. God wants to lead us to a place where there is time, where there is margin to pursue the relationships that matter the most to us. The sweetness of my marriage, that grows in the margins of life. The influence that, that I have with my kids, that happens in the margins of life. 
the significant spiritual relationships and friendships and conversations that I have that can affect eternity, those things happen in the margin of life. The refinement of my character, the depth of my relationship with God, that happens in that discretionary time, that, that margin of life. Depth in relationships always comes slowly. Love takes time. And that's why we must be wise with how we spend it. The world we live in is going to make it hard. But when we leave this place and you head out of these doors, there's going to be pressure on us to do more, to commit to too much. And so we're going to need to say no this week to some good things so that we can say yes to some better ones. And so in order for us to get ready for that, I want us to practice saying this one little word one time together. Okay, so on the count of three, we're going to say this. And I want you to muster up as much passion and vigor as a two-year-old does when they say this word. Okay, on the count of three, we're going to say it together. One, two, three, no! And you guys got this licked. All right, let me pray for us, and we'll get out to the day. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much that you don't just leave us in this life without any direction. And God, I know in my own life that without your direction, I I would just fall into the path of this world and I would fill my life with just stuff and responsibilities and commitments. And I, I would find and have at times found that I don't have the appropriate time to spend investing in the relationships that matter most. My relationship with people, my relationship with you, I, I don't have, don't take the time to hear. And so God, I, I pray for us in the room this morning. I know this begins first and foremost with having a, a clarity of the priorities and the plan, the purpose that you have for our lives. So Father, help us to carve out just a small block of time even today to just get before you to hear clearly from you, to be reminded of the season that we find ourselves in as parents of small kids or just a different season of life. God, help us to see clearly what you want us to do and then give us the courage to put into practice these things to push back, to counteract the the temptations that we will all face. God, thank you for the reminder today that, that we are not what we have We are not what we do. We are not what people think of us. But God, first and foremost, that we are created by you to do good works. A life that has already been planned in your eyes. God, help us to see as you see. And then help us to learn to to use this tool called know so that we can accomplish what it is that you want in our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming out, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.